Good evening, everyone. The time is now 4 p.m. and welcome to A Seat at the Table. I'm your host, Angel Young, and in today's topic, we'll be discussing systemic racism within our law enforcement and its impact on the African-American community. This podcast is meant to give the youth and young adults of our generation a voice to speak on topics concerning racial injustice, systemic oppression, and other issues that have a direct impact on our generation. Today, I have a special guest from Baltimore, Maryland, who will be joining me to talk about today's topic. This person is a very good friend who I've known since childhood. She has a strong interest in the field of science and is planning to pursue molecular biology and genetics when she attends Smith College this fall. She has also, like many African-American youth and young adults in our generation, had her own personal encounter with racism in this country. Having consistently heard the racial stereotypes of African-Americans, she went through the long and difficult process of weeding out the self-hatred and internalized racism that had taken root inside of her so that she could reconcile with herself and her blackness. Now, here she stands, solidified in her black pride and ready to take the first step in promoting change through her own field. Everyone, please help me give a warm welcome to Ms. Maya Gary. Maya, Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Angel. Well, before we get into the discussion, thank you everyone for tuning in. As you all know, here on this podcast, your voice is essential when discussing these topics. And if you have any constructive comments or questions that you'd like to submit about the topics addressed, feel free to tag us on Instagram at a underscore seat underscore at underscore the table, all lowercase. Or if you would like to have a seat at the table in the next discussion, feel free to email me at aeyoung76767 at gmail.com and I will try to get you on. In recent news, protests to defund the police continue to ring out across the country as the police officers guilty of the murders of Rayshard Brooks, Breonna Taylor, and George Floyd go unpunished. Now, a lot of people tuning in may wonder what protesters mean when we say defund the police. Simplistically speaking, defunding the police is the action of redistributing money from the police to invest in resources, social services, and schools that will help communities rather than police them. But when observing history, the action of defunding the police is also a fundamental step towards dismantling the current policing system in favor of creating a new way of public safety that focuses more on supporting the community. You see, in 18th century South Carolina, where policing first had its origin, police, better known at that time as slave patrollers, were tasked with three things apprehending runaway slaves, protecting the white population from slave insurrections, and punishing slaves who violated plantation rules. Over the years, as the Reconstruction and Jim Crow era passed, these tasks never truly changed, but rather evolved with the times. From vagrancy laws that were enforced by police to keep recently freed African Americans in bondage through convict slavery, to the crime and drug war where the government funded police millions upon billions of dollars to militarize themselves against the African-American community. Law enforcement has never existed to protect the lives of all Americans. 
rather to protect the lives and interests of white Americans from the predators that they have made the African-American and minority community out to be. That being said, Maya, with everything that's been going on in Chicago and New York and Carolina, what is your opinion on defunding the police? Um, first of all, I thank you so much for giving all that background. That makes my job a lot easier. Um, I think a lot of people get really hung up on the phrase defund the police and don't, you know, Google it. <laughs> you can, it's pretty simple. You can go look up what it means. And a lot of people think it means um, abolish the police, which is different, um, even though some people are advocating for that. So thank you for um, saying what that actually means and giving the background. So to answer your question, I think defunding the police is a great idea. Um, I, I'm not, honestly, I'm not sure what I think about um, getting rid of police forces entirely. Um, I think if we were to defund the police, I think we should have a, like a significantly smaller and demilitarized police force whose sole job is to um, like deal with um, violent crime in particular, like homicide, um, robbery, rape, because I, I did not know this until recently, but generally speaking, about one in 10 911 calls are um, violent and the other nine in 10 are nonviolent. So instead of sending officers to all of these calls, which are overwhelmingly nonviolent, and you often end up in the death of someone who is perhaps mentally ill or innocent, you can send um, people who are trained to deal with violent situations instead. So um, yeah, I think it's going to, it's going to be rough, honestly, but I do think it's worth um, trying to do that. I think a lot of people are against it because we're just so used to dealing with um, everything with violence and sending more police. So now that people are calling for an alternative to that, it's making these other people uncomfortable because, you know, they can't fathom how things would work if the police were defunded. And, you know, I think that's valid because, like, trust me, when I first heard about it, like, heard about the movement, I was, I was confused. I hadn't, like, looked it up. Just hearing defund the police, I was like, oh, like, oh, that's, that's crazy. What? You know, but I think it's pretty obvious that um, things have not been working out up to this point. And I think it's time to try an alternative. You had mentioned, and I, I completely agree, you hit it right on the spot. You had mentioned that police forces are mostly used for nonviolent crimes. And in my own research, I found the same thing because when all of this started, um, the increase of law enforcement in our communities, most of the work that police did was for drugs. So it's kind of like we, we have to take away that aspect in our society of calling on the police for everything. We have to somehow integrate back in these other services that I was talking about, such as mental health services, um, rehab services, schools, you know, fund those systems or those um, resources that will actually help our community when it comes to those problems rather than um, police them. Because exactly. 
as as you said, what we're seeing is the more we implement police into these problems, the more violence we're seeing. So very good point you made there, Maya. I, I completely agree. The next matter of discussion, what about the police and their responses to the protests? Because I mean, in major cities around this nation, New York, Washington, Chicago, countless times we've seen law enforcement respond to peaceful protests with tear gas, rubber bullets, and in some cases, even tanks. So do you think these forces of aggression are necessary? And how do you think militarization impacts people of color in their communities? Oh my, it's a mess. It, it, this response is completely unwarranted. As you've seen, the protests have been overwhelmingly peaceful. So no, it, this use of force that they're using, it's not necessary. And as to your second question, um, where do I even begin? It's just resulted in this really severe tension between black communities and police officers when you militarize the police. Um, for, like I said, police are supposed to be there to um, protect people, which historically they have done quite the opposite to African-American communities. And I think as a result, this relationship between um, police and the community is broken. It, it, it's, it's just broken. Like for crying out, we have a whole song called F the Police and it's like a cultural thing. It's in a way it's ingrained in us when um, black mothers and fathers have to tell their young um, black sons um, like what to do when dealing with police officers. It's, it's, a, it's ingrained in our culture to this extent where there's this hatred and distrust of the police. So um, their reputation is just way worse than it was. And it was already bad. So. Right. And you mentioned like it decreases the public, the public's trust, mm -hmm. um, especially that of the African-American community, because the use of this paramilitary weaponry and tactics or the militarization from law enforcement has primarily impacted people of color. I mean, 39 percent of those affected are African-Americans. So it's, it's kind of like you, what you said, these various statistics that are coming in or that have already been out are showing that the militarization of the police not only decreases the public trust for law enforcement, but as I said before, it takes away from these social, these social services and systems that would benefit the community more rather than having law enforcement result in using higher levels of force against the community members, which so I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go back a bit, and we're going to address the main question of this discussion. How do you feel the systemic racism of law enforcement, in your perspective, has impacted the African American or minority community in general? Well, there's so many things. Uh, for one, like I was saying before, there's no trust between officers and the community, um, and I think that is one of the um, worst things of, about it because now that there's no sense of cohesion, there's this, um, like, even if people in these communities wanted, like, I, and I'm, I mean, of course, why would you not want to apprehend criminals? You, first of all, you don't trust the police officers, so you're not going to, you know, turn these people in. Our witness protection programs need serious, um, you know, reform. And 
at the same time, these like people who are living in these communities don't want to be hurt by the other um, like violent criminals who live in these communities. And because you don't trust police officers to do their job and protect you, why would you go to them and like tell them about things that are happening in your community? You know, so if we even if we don't like abolish the police, I feel like the relationship between the community and the police is so broken that you, I don't know what you can, like, I think, I don't know, maybe rename it or something like that instead of calling them the police. Like, I, I honestly, I don't mean to sound hopeless or anything, but I think it's, it's so messed up that you kind of have to, I don't know if you should just demolish everything and start over again, but you you really need to start addressing the fact that the relationship between officers and the community is like non-existent. I don't know if that answered the question, but I guess I just feel really strongly about that. Um, yeah. No, no, I can, cause like the whole hopeless feeling, I, I'm pretty sure you're not the only one feeling that way. I, I certainly, Feel that way sometimes too when I look at everything that's going on um, going on in the world you know like how like history has how it never has been solved over the years you know it's just kind of built and left there now. Yeah. yeah so it's like now we're we're all seeing this and it's like how do we even begin to address all this so right. like that whole that whole trust with the community like those lines those those lines of trust between law enforcement and the African-American community have been blurred since mm -hmm. Reconstruction era. So it's like, how do we even begin to rebuild that? So it's, it is a work in progress. It's something that will definitely take a while, but I feel like if we can, if we can get a start on it, then progress is progress and we will eventually be there. Um, so the last matter of discussion, as we take action to defund the police, what do you think our next course of action should be as individuals within the movement and as a community? I think there's two sides to this. I think there is like, you can create political change and you can create social change and they overlap a lot. But I think as individuals, of course, we can protest and call for political change. We can call our representatives. We can um, call these police departments and like our mayors and governors to call to hold these officers accountable. But I think as individuals, the most we can do um, is spread social change. And to do that, we have to both educate ourselves and educate others. And I'm not saying that the burden to do that should be on the African-American community, because trust me, as someone who has gone to private school <laughs> her entire life, a lot of that burden has been on me. And I would not want that for um, other members of the community. So I think we have to call our um, white counterparts and our um, like other people of color as well to educate themselves on these issues and realize that you've been blind to all of these things, um, all of these systems, the criminal justice system, like housing discrimination, health discrimination, job discrimination. There's so many things that we could talk about that people just have no idea about and don't know that it's contributing to this cycle. So I think 
we need to call people to educate themselves about these things so they can also stand for change. And by doing that, we can all call for political change together. Yeah, one of the things I always say is knowledge is power. This whole aspect of knowledge and education, you know, you have to, but as you said, both counterparts stay informed on the history of Black, Indigenous people of color, you know, because what we find is a lot of history is unfortunately whitewashed. So you have to go back and sometimes relearn that the things that we think we've solved have not actually been solved. So we have to relearn or self-educate ourselves on the decisions that will or have impacted the community. Another thing that we can also do is consider how we use our money. You know, you mentioned um, jobs, the economy. Be wary of these corporations that are bandwagoning on the Black Lives Matter movement because a lot of them have built themselves off of the exploitation of African-American and minority lives. So support your Black and minority-owned businesses. And by doing this, you can help minority communities flourish in their own way. And you mentioned political change. Vote. Vote. Thank you. Please, please vote, everyone. <laughs> if nothing else, if nothing else, vote. Like, and research who you're voting for. You know, question, call out politicians. You have every right to do so because they're here to serve us. So that That's a very important um thing to be my uh, mindful of as we move forward with this action. Uh, once again, thank you so much, Maya, for taking the time out to voice and speak your voice on this topic. It's very much appreciated. Of course. Thank you. All right. Once again, everyone, thank you all for coming. Remember to continue to do as much as you can to support the movement, especially as it pertains to legislation being passed to defund and hold the police accountable for their actions. Once again, if you have any constructive comments or questions that you'd like to submit about the topics addressed, feel free to tag us on Instagram at a underscore c underscore at underscore the table, all lowercase. Or if you would simply like to stay informed on the next podcast will be posted, just give me a quick follow so you can be updated on the bi-weekly episode. Also, if you would like to have a seat at the table in the next discussion, feel free to email me at ayoung76767 at gmail.com. That being said, everyone, this has been a seat at the table, and we'll see you soon.